and as we were worshiping together and singing these great songs about who God is, how wonderful God is, maker he is, I kind of took a little step back and I said, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here on Sunday? We gather every Sunday and we sing these songs and you know, James Gray gave a great uh, creative moment about what's going on. Like, what are we doing here? What are you doing on Sunday? I think if all the things that we're doing on Sunday, what we're doing is we're affirming the unseen reality of who God is. Because if you think about it, your Monday through Saturday, what you see on TV, what you see out in culture, what you see in the workplace, what you hear in your cars, you're driving, what you hear on your podcast, what you read online, very little of it affirms the reality of who God is, of God's goodness, of God's character, of God's grace, of God's love. And what we do here on Sunday morning is we take this time, this hour and a half that we're together, and we say, yes, we reaffirm who God is and who Jesus Christ is. That's what this whole series has been about, the good and beautiful God. We've been looking at these attributes of God. And it's really, the reality is it's over and against all of the other messages that you're getting in your life about the reality of human existence. So we're going to continue today and we're going to look at the theme that who God is, that God is self-sacrificing. Our God, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful one is self-sacrificing of himself for us. Now, last week, if you were here, we looked at this idea that God is holy. And we saw this image out of the book of Isaiah. We saw this image of God being lifted up in the temple, this powerful and mighty God. We saw it again repeated in the book of Revelation. How, what's the picture of God? that God is high and lifted up, powerful and mighty. But there's a paradox. God is holy, which means God is separate. But the paradox is this, that it's not God's holiness that keeps him separate and inaccessible from us. Nor does our human frailty or our human uncleanliness separate us from God who is clean, but rather in God's holiness, in God's purity, we are made whole. God's purity makes us clean. That's a paradox, and we're going to see that same paradox again today, that God is powerful, but that power is used for self-sacrifice. Now, this is where I'm going with this. That Christ-like humility is power used for the good of others. Christ-like humility is power used for the good of others. That our powerful God is actually self-sacrificing and releasing of his power. To get there, we're going to look at some words from the Apostle Paul that are in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And the section we're going to look at is verses 5 through 11. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 
And this whole section, and the way that Paul starts it out, is with these words. It's actually an encouragement and really a command. And he's writing to the Philippian Christians, and he begins with this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He tells them, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to get into that a little bit before I get into the rest of it. But have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What that means, actually, is to have this mindset in yourselves and among yourselves. Have this way of thinking in yourself, meaning personally, and then among yourselves, the way that you relate and talk to each other. What does it mean to have a particular mindset? What does it mean to have a particular, sometimes people say, worldview? You know, it's a really powerful thing. Your mind. What's in your mindset? What do you believe? What are your assumptions? What are your beliefs? How do you view the world? Because Paul is saying, have this mind among yourselves. Let me give you a couple of examples about mind and what does it mean to have a particular mindset. Because our mindset shapes our perceptions, our beliefs, our actions. Consider, for example, this mindset. What if your mindset was the mindset of conflict avoidance? So you grew up and you think, as a culture, wow, my mindset is conflict avoidance. That means that in this particular mindset, harmony not rocking the boat, are the highest values that you can have. And what that means is then that you are going to avoid anything that might create any kind of conflict. You're not going to say anything that might be too edgy. You're not going to put yourself out there because you're not going to want to disrupt the relationship. Your actions from your mindset. But let's say your mindset's not conflict avoidant. I've got a friend of mine. She's, a, she's actually a really powerful personality. And um, her mindset is actually conflict engagement. So she will, like, tell it to you straight up. If you've, like, got an issue, you've got a shortcoming in your personality, she will just tell it to you straight up. You know that she loves you, but she's really honest with you. She's not worried about harmony at all. For her, honesty is the highest value. And she's going to tell it to you. Now, you're going to want somebody like that if, say, you're out at a very formal dinner and you're eating broccoli and spinach and these other kinds of things. And as you are here at this dinner, all of a sudden you get a little bit of uh, spinach stuck in between your teeth. You're going to want somebody whose mindset is conflict engagement to be able to say, hey, Scott, you got some broccoli in your teeth. If you're conflict avoidant, you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm not going to say anything. He's the pastor. I don't want him to feel bad. I'm just going to let that broccoli ride. <laughs> Consider these different mindsets for us just in our, in our business world. I'm going to just pick out a couple of things in our professional life, but hopefully you're going to get what I'm trying to say here with this. If you've got a particular mindset, it also means that you're trained a particular way to see a particular set of things. Um, I've, I learned this with, with Evelyn. She's a physician. 
So when I think about physicians, doctors, nurses, you guys that are trained that way are trained in a medical mindset. You're especially mindful of people's health. So there's a time where Evelyn and I were talking to a guy, and we were just talking to him after church, and I was just talking to him, and I was just like, just listening to his story. And then at the end, I was like, okay, just kind of heard his, his life. Evelyn, in medical mindset, she looked at the guy and goes, oh man, did you see the color of his skin? Man, I wonder if he's a candidate for liver failure. This medical mindset. So I didn't even see that at all. There's a guy that I know. He's trained in business. And his whole, he's, he's like networking people. He's a businessman in Hong Kong when I knew him. He's completely trained. Like every person he talks to, he's like, oh man, I'm going to network with this person. But like this, risk-reward assessment, he can see his way through a spreadsheet. He is totally trained that way. But he's just like the way he looks at stuff. Hey, we're going to try this new initiative. Boom, risk-reward assessment. He's amazing at that. Another friend, they are a lawyer. How do you think lawyers are trained? If you're a lawyer out there, I love you. (laughs) Well, this is what I was told. You can correct me after service, I was wrong. A lawyer mindset, you're trained and taught how to argue. I mean, you, you synthesize all this data and this information. You are amazing at reading, at outlining books, at listening to people, complex situations, teasing out the salient points. But then you're also trained to argue. And you're also trained to win. That's why I want a lot of lawyers as friends. Because I like, you know, we've got to win. But see, how is your mindset? How are you trained? What are you trained to do? The Apostle Paul in Philippians is trying to train the Christians in Philippi to have a particular mind when they look at the world. He's telling the followers of Jesus to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And to have this mind is the mind of Christ, which is a mind of humility, sacrificing self-sacrificing power used for the sake of others. So here's the passage in its entirety. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. It's a great visual image. We're going to get back to that. He doesn't count the equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to grab. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the great miracle that we celebrated during Good Friday and then the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, that Jesus Christ became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. But then Paul turns right here at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This great hymn of Jesus Christ, this great mind of Christ who emptied himself, died on the cross, resurrected, and then on him, God has given him the glory and the honor. You know, when the first readers of this in the first, second century would have been reading these words of the Apostle Paul, they would have been reading this against the backdrop of the Greco-Roman world. The Greco-Roman world was all about power. It was all about economic power, social power, political power, and military power. The world was all about power. The idea of humility was seen as a shortcoming. It was seen as a vice. It was seen as a weakness in this world. The strongest ones were the victors. The strongest ones were the ones that won out. They could secure their position economically, politically, socially. They could secure their position militarily. And the weaker ones were pushed out and conquered and dominated. Power in this world was used for self-preservation. Some of you know that my background is actually in the life sciences and uh, zoology. And when I was reading about the Greco-Roman world, I was like, man, that is just like the world in the Serengeti Plains. The survival of the fittest. (coughs) There was a, a... biologist named Hamilton. He created this theory about animal behavior. It's called the selfish herd theory. And you can see this at play among large herd animals, but just take like a bunch of zebras at a watering hole. If you're going to analyze that, you would see the zebras all lined up, drinking water, and the biggest and strongest zebra would be in the middle because he would have pushed his way to the middle. And the weaker zebras were pushed to the outside. Why? Because those zebras on the outside drinking, they're going to get picked off by the lions. That's what happens in the natural world. And that's what was going on in the Greco-Roman world. It's the survival of the strongest and the weakest get devoured. The humility of Christ however, is anything but weak. The humility of Jesus Christ is actually an entirely new expression of power. The entire humility of Jesus Christ is a brand new expression of power that counters the selfish herd. It counters the Greco-Roman world. Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. But how does God use his power? To secure for himself the safest position, the place in the center? That's not what he does. Jesus Christ does not use his power, even though equal to God, to grasp at that. 
Jesus doesn't even lay claim to what he's entitled to when he walks the earth. He doesn't claim that. He uses his power to be obedient to God and his humility pouring himself out takes him to the cross and he's obedient unto death so that all of us might be saved from our sins. Isaiah chapter 53 says it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And God has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Christ is God. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the one who is in form and essence, the very nature of God. He is the one who is lifted up in the temple, about whom is said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is Jesus Christ. This is who God is. But then as such, he then intentionally empties himself. He intentionally pours himself out, taking the form of a servant. That is a godly expression of power, to pour out that power for the sake of other people. Christ-like humility is power, not used for himself, but used for the sake of others. And in this, that's the paradox of the power. It's the most beautiful use of power that there is. It's God who has everything became nothing so that we who had nothing could have everything in Jesus Christ. You know, all of us in our own ways have power We also, as followers of Jesus Christ, following this paradox of power, have capacity to act. But it is just so tempting and just so human to use our own human power to secure for us security, power, safety, the center position. Those that are weaker get pushed to the outside. It's so human to use our power to try to grasp at more power. In the early stories of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, in the story of Adam and Eve, they were placed in the garden, and God said, hey, we'll put everything out here. But there's just one, one boundary I want to set up for you. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I put it in the middle of the garden. Hey, just don't touch that. Just don't eat of that fruit. What happened? Adam and Eve. They had the whole garden, but that one tree. They were tempted to reach out. Why were they tempted? Because they were tempted and told, hey, if you reach out and you cross that guideline, cross that boundary, and you take that, you will be like God. God and your eyes will be opened. Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. 
but he emptied himself. Even the disciples of Jesus, so human, so trying to get power for themselves, it was actually James and John, sons of Zebedee. Well, there's a little story in Matthew about the mother of James and John trying to grasp power for her sons. The mother of James and John, she went up to Jesus while all the disciples were there and and she said, hey, Jesus, you know, when you go into your kingdom, when you rule, Jesus, because I know you're going to be a king, I know you're going to rule. Jesus, when you reach that point of power, can you just see that my sons, James and John, one sits at your right and one sits at your left? Those are the positions of power. One at the right and one at the left. The right hand of the king and the left hand of the king. This is the mother of James and John. Hey, Jesus, can you just secure a little more power for my sons? You know, Jesus Jesus says this. Jesus says, whoever would be great among you needs to be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave. There are two different words there, servant and slave. And then he says this, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he poured himself out and he emptied himself for the good of other people, for the good of humanity, for the good of you and me, that we might know eternal life in heaven. Humility acknowledges self-sacrificing power for the good of other people. Now, what's so great about our church, about our community here, is that I see people all the time using their own power their own training in faithfulness to God, in obedience to Jesus Christ, to pour out their lives and their gifts and their talents in self-sacrificial ways for the good of other people. And I get so excited when I see that. There are so many ways that people are doing that here at GRX. I'm not going to embarrass people by like, putting your names up on the slides or running through this huge litany but I'm going to highlight something. But there's so many things. I'm going to highlight something that's just coming up. I see this with the anti-human trafficking life group. And yes, there are people that are trained in law in that mix. But something that's going on in our world is that our world is experiencing human trafficking. What is our response to that? How are we going to respond to that? There are people that are using law, their, creati- their creativity, their management, their capacity to fundraise, to raise awareness that, yes, human slavery is happening in our time and our world. There are people that are raising funds to combat human trafficking, running events to teach about it because it's happening in our time. It's people that could be using their training, their resources 
to secure position and power for themselves. It's the world. It's what the world does. But instead, it's lives being used. It's power being used for the sake of other people. That's Christ-like humility. Power being used for the sake of other people. I'm going to give another example. This is something that you can do all the time. It's a bit of a contrast between people that sometimes are really judgmental versus people that are really encouraging. If you find that sometimes you're in this place of being really judgmental, let me challenge you here and ask you to check yourself. Because a position of judgment is a position of power. But it's a position that stands off to criticize something else. By contrast, a position of encouragement is what I call lifting from beneath. It's still a a position of power, but it's looking at something and going, hey, there's something here that's not quite going right. But you don't stand in judgment to say, hey, that's not going right. You stand in encouragement and say, hey, this is not going right, but I'm going to come alongside and lift with my power from underneath to elevate what's going on here. How do you think Jesus Christ wants us to use our power? When I look at the life of Jesus, I see Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, who pours himself out and empties himself to lift from underneath so that the world might be saved through him. I'm going to end this message with a soul training exercise. We've been doing these different soul training exercises all through this series. The soul training exercise for this week is to read the Gospel of John. To read the Gospel of John. And I would encourage you, GRX, to actually crack open your Bibles. The ones with the paper in it. To do that. Because I believe it's a different experience to read your Bible this way than it is to read it electronically. And I encourage you to even start today. And if you read in three or four days, you'd be able to read the book in its entirety. And I don't want you to get bogged down in the questions. Go, oh my gosh, what's that? And I can't get out of, ver- I can't get out of the first chapter because I get so many questions. If you do have questions, sure, go ahead and just jot them down. But what I'd like you to do is read the book in its entirety. Read it over a couple, three, four days. You'd be able to do that four or five chapters a day, and you'd be able to finish it in about four days. The reason why is because I would love for you to get the story, not the details. I want you to see the forest. I want you to see the forest of the life of Jesus Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Is it humility, power used for the sake of others? Is it love? Is it self-sacrifice? 
what is the mind of Christ? Because it's that mind that the Apostle Paul wants us to have. And I believe it's this mind of humility, power, used for the sake of others. It's what I see in Jesus Christ. It's what I see in GRX. It's what I see God calling us to. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you didn't use your power for security or safety or for yourself, that you didn't stand far off in heaven and look down and just judge and say, man, these people on earth, man, they're messing up. Thank you that you came and that you used your power to lift, to encourage that God, that we might be brought into holiness and forgiveness in you. Lord God, I thank you for our church. I thank you, God, for the so many ways that so many people here are coming alongside, lifting, encouraging, using their power, using their training, using their creativity to build your kingdom, to build up other people. May you be glorified, God, in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.